You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to David Sherwood. He is the CEO of Daniel's Jewelers. Daniel Jewelers is a family operated specialty jeweler with more than 100 stores across California. Arizona, Texas, Nevada, and New Mexico, expanding into the East Coast in 2023. So when I flipped and said Florida before, I was already thinking about the East Coast, um, although I don't know if that's on the roadmap. Um, he's been the CEO since 2001, but it's by no means a new company, as this is a family-operated business now onto its third generation. Um, David also has his degree in computer science from Harvard University and an MBA from Stanford University, so really bringing a lot of those business insights to the way in which he approaches Daniel's Jewelers as CEO. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, good morning. It's David, but good morning, Melissa. Did I say Daniel? You know, and, there's like a you know, definite, it happens all like, the time. <laughs> thing happening with my head today. Daniel, David, yes. And I bet you people call it David's Jewelers, too. And no, never it. that, but I've always oh. been. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, my dad uh, swears that I was supposed to be named Daniel until the very last second when uh, he finally said just couldn't do it. And so I ended up with the first two letters, but uh, never got the name. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. That happens to me a lot. I get called Michelle instead of Melissa. So <laughs> I know how that goes. Um, but thank you again, um, David, for being with us. And I gave such a high level introduction on Daniel's Jewelers, but would love you to tell the audience a little bit more about your family owned business. Sure. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, just back to this, the, the story of, of my name. I mean, the name of the business um, itself goes back to 1948 when my grandfather bought a bankrupt store um, in uh, what was sort of an unincorporated region of, of Los Angeles. Um, and uh, he, you know, sort of mortgaged his house and um, borrowed money from friends and family. And, and um, so once he bought the store, he couldn't afford a new sign. And the business was originally called Daniel's Jewelers. And so that persists. And, and because my dad never named me Daniel, there's actually no Daniel in the family, even though we've been, you know, running this business now for, for 75 years. Um, and, uh, you know, from that first store, uh, my grandfather slowly but surely grew the business. And then my dad and my uncle joined the business in the 1960s after they finished college. Uh, and they continued to grow the business. And then I, I joined it in 2001. And, um, you know, from there, uh, we, we've continued to grow. So from that one store, you know, we're now 107 stores, um, you know, stretching from California and uh, to Texas. And as, a, as you sort of alluded to, uh, opening up in Florida um, next year. And, but the it was business, like osmosis, like you didn't yes. even tell me and I knew. <laughs> but, you know, the business, I mean, you know, who we service as a customer and kind of the life dreams of, uh, you know, kind of who our core is hasn't changed since, you know, that first store, you know, back in the early 1950s. Um, the, the, you know, back then, you know, the customer was migrants from the Midwest who had been escaping the kind of dust storms that had destroyed crops. And they came over to California where, you know, the GI Bill and the, you know, all this sort of, you know, post-World War II growth was happening. And, you know, LA, Los Angeles was just, you know, it was a place where you could start over. And uh, so a bunch of folks came over, you know, kind of your grapes of wrath, 
as it, as it were, if you remember that from, from high school mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they, they basically, you know, went out, found their, found a job. And then, you know, they would want to celebrate that, or they, you know, found a, you know, a, a partner and would want to celebrate that, or, you know, sort of moved up and began to sort of climb the kind of American dream again. And each time you celebrate, what do you celebrate with? Well, jewelry is, is certainly one of the most common things back, you know, celebrating with jewelry goes back to the caveman kind of uh, era. And so, um, you know, today that that first store um, still exists and it still serves um, a similar customer. Now, it's not a migrant from the Midwest anymore. That store actually serves immigrants from Mexico. But life dreams, getting a job, celebrating their growth up the American ladder, celebrating their successes, that hasn't changed, you know, one iota. And um, each store that we've grown, you know, grown into, um, while the customer might be slightly different in terms of, you know, whether it's a different color or ethnic background or religion or whatever it happens to be, but where they are and sort of what they're trying to accomplish and how they want to celebrate, that that's the same since the 50s and and, and that's who we service. Well, that's I love you sharing that rich history um, and kind of the inspiration behind the brand. And, you know, um, there's two big elements here as well, though. It's it's jewelry as a category has continued to see strength right all through the past couple of years. And I love the way you talk about um, its affiliation with celebration. So I'd love to talk to you about the strength, the category scene. Um, and then secondly, really servicing the Hispanic customer, which is also, you know, an increasingly growing percentage right, of the um, the domestic income, right, that's that's in this country. Um, so can you talk a little bit about both of those? Sure. I mean, so the jewelry category has been phenomenal over the last uh, few years, and, and particularly in 2021. It was, you know, for the industry, including our, our business, but we, we weren't alone. It was the single best year that the industry will ever have. Uh, bar none. And, and that had a lot to do with, um, you know, there were certainly kind of COVID uh, related impacts. Uh, number one, you know, people couldn't spend money in lots of places. You couldn't travel. Experiential retail was hard to do. Uh, you weren't going out to restaurants and such. And then people had a lot of money. Um, so, you know, there was stimulus and, and, and people, you know, weren't spending. So they had that. But I think in my, in my mind, most importantly, is that people started spending a lot more time at home with their family and their loved ones. And, you know, rather than, um, you know, sort of spending their money um, on what I would say are kind of unromantic ways to pass the time, you know, they were, you know, I think celebrating their love and celebrating, you know, those moments and those relationships that I think for a lot of people became that much more important. And as I had said earlier, you know, that kind of celebration jewelry is always been, you know, the thing that you can give and receive that sort of has kind of generational type, um, you know, rewards to it and, and remembrances. And, and so, I mean, we look down at the the rings that were given or the earrings that we put on and, and, you know, most of us, you know, have, have stories and memories and they're, you know, um, you know, we like to say, and, and, you know, as we train our associates that being in the jewelry industry, you get to be part of, you know, life's happiest moments. And, and that's a, a privilege for anyone in jewelry. I mean, there's lots of things that you can sell. There's lots of retail you can be involved in, but, you know, you are going to be part of someone's memory. You are going to be part of someone's, you know, greatest experience in their life when you, you know, when, when that ring or, or that, you know, bracelet or whatever, you know, becomes part of their life and gets passed on and, and such. And so, 
you know, that's that, you know, that's, I think, one of the reasons that jewelry really, you know, grew in the in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the missions of your company has also been, um, you know, making jewelry more accessible, right? And 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 because there's a, a multi-general relationship here and the opportunity to pan down heirlooms to younger generations. Um, but then you also have been very forward thinking in your trade and at any time um, program. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, accessibility is, is a great word and, and it starts with, um, you know, the original store had underneath the Daniels Jewelers had a had a little sub sign that says dignified credit. And, uh, you know, from the very first store to our, our current store, we probably have the most flexible and largest array of credit offerings, everything, you know, from someone who has fantastic credit and wants, you know, five years interest free to folks who have no credit at all. We open up more 18 year olds with their very first credit than probably any retailer in the country. And then uh, all the way up to folks who might have had some credit stumbles in the past. We have an option for them as well. So, so financing is never a barrier in our store and we have an option that will fit someone's budget but there's also as, as as you as you mentioned the accessibility of knowing that you know your life situation particularly financial situation is going to change over time and so you, you know we all walk in and we all want you know a big honking diamond ring yeah mm. and uh but if you're you know 22 years old and you, and and it's your you know kind of have your first job and you know you you want to get married but you can't afford that well, what we offer, as you mentioned, is a trading program. So, you know, buy the real small one, buy this $500 ring, because at any time when you're ready to trade it up, we'll give you $500 back every dollar you ever paid toward the purchase of the next one. And so people can, over time, they buy the 500, they trade it in for a thousand, they trade the thousand dollar in for a 3000, the 3000. Eventually they have that beautiful diamond ring that they've always been dreaming about. Maybe it takes a few years. For some customers, it might take 10 years, but we don't care as long as they're, you know, kind of wearing the dream, you know, the jewelry that they really want. I love that. Um, that that's phenomenal. Um, and there's, because there's so much conversation around like new payment terms and, um, you know, paying and Klarna and all of that. Um, but this is like, you know, you guys are really keeping it close to home. And I think that that says a lot to how you can also capture customer loyalty, right? Because you're saying like, you're kind of investing in each other, right? Um, by them. That's a, really, that's a really good way of putting it because, because um, our credit program is in-house. So we, you know, there's no, you know, we can approve anybody that we want to approve. And so there's lots of customers that, you know, if you pull their credit bureau, you look at it and you say, oh my God, I mean, they, they've never paid a bill in their life. And yet they've been paying us for years. And, you know, the the, the truth is, and it goes back to my grandfather um, used to say that uh, when he first opened the store, um, you know, he he would, was giving out credit and a guy comes in one day and says to him, you know, we were we were sitting at the bar the other night and a few of us realized that we all have credit with you. And we realized we don't got to pay you. you know, yeah. There's nothing you can do. You can't come get you're a little man. There's nothing you can do. And my grandfather said, well, well why do you then? And he said, well, because you're honest. You gave us what we said. We made a commitment and we just do it. And um, you'll be you'd be amazed that that mentality really is how we've survived. 
because the majority, not all of them, but the majority of people we do business with are just honest folks trying to get ahead, trying to do right, and mm-hmm. they pay their bills. And even if they're not, quote, unquote, credit worthy by the national credit agencies and all that kind of stuff, you know, they appreciate that they were offered the opportunity to get the jewelry that they wanted, and they'll make their payments so long as they are capable of doing it. That's great. Um, I love that kind of visual you put in my head of them all sitting together and having that conversation. Um, But it also brings me to think about your relationship as a brand in the local communities. Um, You have some incredible uh, retention rates when it comes to staff and you have a very local approach to that. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So we believe each store makes their own weather and each store manager is the you know king or queen mostly queens in in, in fact of their fiefdoms and so we let them operate their store for their you know surroundings and and that you know that means from a ethnic perspective that means from who we hire that means from how we tailor the merchandise that means from you know the visual merchandising in the store i mean you walk into our store in kind of you know east la and compare that to our store in you know kind of a the nicer part of uh, glendale uh, for example if you know you know kind of the california mm-hmm. market the stores are completely different uh, they they dress the store differently they, you know, um, decorate it differently. And it, and it's just, um, we've always allowed that and permitted that because we know that, you know, in the end, they're just different customers and we want the customer to be comfortable. And that's the, that's the biggest part of it. I mean, you know, jewelry is something that for most customers, it's a, they don't really understand it, right? Diamonds are kind of, you know, uh, a mystery, you know, no one really understands the weight of gold and, and what's it worth and what's the value. And at the end of the day, you buy based on trust. So, you know, you want to trust someone, trust that they're going to treat you right, trust that they're going to be there when you have a problem with your jewelry, trust that they're going to give you a good deal, trust that they're going to, when they say, does this look good on me? You're going to be honest and say, you know what? It That's not quite right. It's a little big for you. Your fingers aren't quite, you know, and, and that sort of relationship happens best at a local level. And so uh, most of the associates that we hire are former customers. Basically, to get hired at Daniels, you need to be love jewelry, have a great smile and be willing to learn. That's the criteria. There is no educational requirement. There's no you don't have to have any background in sale. We can teach someone to sell. We can teach someone about jewelry. We can teach all of that. What we can't teach is for someone to just be a good person with a good smile that can welcome someone into the store, welcome them into the Daniels family, make them feel comfortable. Oh, I love that. That's great. Um, Well, how do you balance that out? Because that's a very kind of like authentic grassroots human aspect of it. And as you have this growing community, right, that's multi-generational, a huge portion of Hispanic, how are you bridging that in the online offline relationship? Yeah, so that's that is probably the key challenge that, that we're facing now is that I don't have a smiling associate on my website. Now, on the one hand, you have the notion that most jewelry, and 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 this is not all, but most jewelry is showcased, showroomed online, but eventually tried, touched, and bought in store. Mm-hmm. Even the largest, you know, our largest competitors have been investing many, many millions are still at the, you know, maybe a fifth of their, you know, sales are online. You know, maybe it's going to grow to a quarter at some point, but it's really not the majority. 
but there still is that that you know how do you make that relationship with a customer online there's you know we try with you know chat and and uh you know sort of friendly people on the phone and and those sorts of things we try with um trying to explain you know the trade in and the financing and the other things uh online but the truth is we we haven't gotten there yet um mm-hmm. you know i I don't think our website is as friendly, certainly not even close to as friendly as our stores and not as friendly as we want it to be. And I don't think we've broken down that barrier and made people feel comfortable. I mean, heck, when you walk by my store in a mall, you're going to see balloons. I'm going to invite you in. I'm going to give you a free gift. We're going to give you coffee. We're going to, the kids are going to have crayons and coloring books to to play with. I mean, there's, it's an environment. There, There's an experience online. It's, you know, click, click, click. It's just very mm-hmm. hard. To, to do that. And, and there, there aren't frankly a lot of good retailers out there that I think have, have broken that down. It's very transactional and mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, we've done a lot of thinking about it and are, are trying to improve the situation, but I honestly, I don't think anyone's cracked that uh, you know, safe yet. Yeah. Well, it's definitely um, a purchase of consideration, right? And so when we talk about things that perform well online versus in-store, when you get to purchase of consideration, and usually that's affiliated with a dollar amount, but I think because this is such a an emotional purchase, right, that's got a sentimental aspect to it and that in-person is important. I love the way you have such a localized approach to it and recognizing that each locale has got its different elements. And so how how do our environments speak to the people? That we're serving. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, you know, I mentioned the first store, which is, you know, probably 93% uh, Mexican uh, of Mexican descent, but I have stores nearby that are majority of um, Central American descent. And those are different customers, you know, diametrically opposed, but they're different customers. Uh, a few miles away, I have an almost all Chinese customer store. Uh, a few miles from that, almost all Filipino customer, you know, base. A few miles from that, um, you know, an, an almost entirely African-American customer base. Each one of those stores, you know, the the associates look different, as you would expect. The merchandise is tailored for, you know, different, you know, different wants and likes and 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 such. And the, you know, even the messages and and how the store is set up is tailored toward, you know, who the majority customer is. And do you do all that in house? Do you partner um, with, you know, how do you get those insights as you're taking such a intentional localized approach? It's very ground, you know, from the groundswell up. So, you know, um, you know, the manager and the associate sort of drive that with their feedback, which is, you know, delivered up through, you know, the the standard sort of supervisory layers. But one of the things that we pride ourselves on, and I, you know, I hope that we are, you know, never lose this, is listening to, mm-hmm. you know, the associates. And in fact, listening to your newest associates first. They're, you know, they're sort of dumbstruck that they'll say things that you're like, oh. We didn't really think about that. And as I said, because most of them are former customers, they'll just give you the honest truth about, you know, these are what I love, but boy, wouldn't it be better if, or God, I wish you had this, or could you offer that? And, and we've just, you know, we edit and migrate and, and evolve, I, I suppose. Not a lot of rev- revolution in the business over the last 75 years, but constant evolution. I love that. Yeah, it's important. We talk a lot about like, you know, community as co-creators, which could be your customers. But we've also, I think, one of the blessings of the last couple of years is how much companies have really um, embraced and understood like your your front line in the store. I mean, they're your most powerful qualitative point 
of, of research on a daily basis and like really understanding the pulse of the consumer and the desires and the pain points. And so it's, you know, I think that's great that you kind of see them as like your entrepreneurial partner, right? And, and the growth of your business. I mean, I was in I was in a store yesterday and uh, just talking to one of my associates and asking her how Black Friday went. And she said, oh, and great. But, you know, the, this system was a little slow. And I said, well, what, what was slow about it? She says, oh, we couldn't find the customer's payments. I, I, you know, I guess you guys forgot to put it on there. And so we, you know, kind of you know, walked on over to it. And I, I said, you know, pulled it up and she said, see, it's not there. And then we, you know, we scrolled a little bit and said, oh, it's here. She's like, oh, it didn't used to be there. And so, you know, the first thing we do is call the tech people and say, well, I understand that you thought it should be there, but all the associates think it should be there. Let's move it. And it's those tiny little things, you know, it's sort of retail is details, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we did not, there was not, you know, we didn't change the game by making that change. But if you do a few of those every day and a few dozen of those every week and a few hundred of them every month and a few thousand of them every year, you will evolve. You will become better. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a constant conversation. And like you said, an evolution. Um, speaking of evolution, as you come over to the East Coast, um, uh, tell us what's your timeline for Miami? And and is I don't know what else you can say if you're going to go beyond that. And what are you excited about in that market? So uh, we'll be opening, we have three stores that are uh, in the construction phase right now. We haven't, you know, we're in, we're plan check and, and that sort of thing. We'll be opening in the first you know, sometime in Q1, Q2, uh, those three stores will all open. And we plan on uh, probably, you know, another half a dozen stores in the Miami area. We know the malls or the, you know, the, the places we want to be. And we're just working on getting the right location um, there. So that is the first. And then from there, we we plan to sort of, you know, continue on in Florida. So uh, Orlando and, and Tampa and, and you know, Tallahassee and the, and the rest of the Florida market. And uh, probably from there, stretch both back towards Texas, where we already have a, a nexus. So we're looking at Georgia, you know, likely the Atlanta market, and then moving up the eastern seaboard, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, et cetera, uh, moving, moving our way up. Virginia are also on our kind of, you know, more immediate time frame. That's exciting. Um, tell me, uh, you used the word nexus, and I was thinking about that. I think you know, tell me why is that your approach or what are you benefiting from when you have kind of that nexus or network effect where you're not just going one location per state, you're really kind of triangulating on certain geographies? Yeah, I mean, our operate, the way we operate almost requires a, a nexus in the sense that, um, number one, uh, you know, if we're going to do any marketing in a, you know, sort of, you know, advertising in a market that isn't, you know, purely hyper local digital. And, you know, there's a place for that, but there's also a place for, you know, becoming a fixture in the community. And I don't think you do that with, you know, click at clickbait ads and, and uh, other things. You really have to be in the community, you know, uh, sponsor, be part of, um, you know, uh, local events be part of um you know kind of what it is that is important to that those those areas and so you need you know more than one store to do that and then also you know uh, you know, every store is different and we talked about localizing it and you know as we have different associates and we're hiring them if you only have one store that you're hiring for you can it, it's very hard to find the right mix because this associate turns out that they kind of match a little better with this customer over here this manager who can't you know find their way out of a you know out of a paper bag in this store 
But when they get to this store, the customer, they just meld and the, the, the store explodes. And so it takes a number of stores to kind of balance out the, the human effect of it and get everyone kind of the places that they can, you know, do their do their best and prosper. No, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Um, well, this is part of your future, but what's the longer term future? We can't end the conversation without talking about that. Like, where where is uh, Daniel's Jewelers or the industry going in the next two to five years in your mind? Well, there's been a lot of consolidation in in the industry, and so um, you know a, a lot of the very large players in the industry um, are closing stores, um, and then a lot of the very small players in the industry, the the mama papas, are also closing stores as they age out. So we we see an opportunity to almost double the size of our fleet as we go into markets that we're not in and that have lost their um, you know basically lost their local jeweler. Um, and if you think about jewelry and the, the, you know, it's more than just selling diamonds, right? There's a whole service aspect of it because jewelry needs to be constantly repaired. Uh, diamonds fall out, uh, you know, uh, chains break, uh, rings need to be resized. All sorts of things happen and you, you need a place where you can trust someone with the most important physical thing that you own and know that you're going to get it back in perfect shape, that no one, nothing, you know, untoward is going to happen. And that is your local jeweler. And, and so there, there is that opportunity. And there's also the other things that you do from a service perspective, changing watch batteries, do, you know, piercing ears for, you know, the, the, you know, for the little girl or little boy at the very, whatever it happens to be, um, you know, we want to be there for that. And we think that there, there's a, you know, sort of an opportunity that the whole world is not moving towards online. At the same time, we do see sort of that there is going to be a continued growth of omni-channel and particularly e-com. And we think that with our both with our credit offerings and with our tailored merchandising approach and, and our understanding of in particular the Hispanic community, there's no reason why as that grows, we can't grow with it and can, you know, sort of blow up in terms of of how our e-com um, you know, a site can 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 perform. Mm -hmm. No, that's a multi-pronged approach. I like it. Um, but I, when you talk for the in-store experience, I think that that's so important because the aspects you're talking about, your piercing and repairs, and that's where you're more of a holistic partner to your customer, right? And that's where you're kind of increasing lifetime value and the frequency in which you're interacting with them. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, just as an example, um, you know, we do free jewelry cleaning, right? And so one of the services we offer when, when a customer, either they're making a payment or we just talking to them on the phone just to say how they're doing, we say, look, come on by, just give us your jewelry. Let us clean it for you, right? Because, you know, jewelry gets dirty, right? It's, it's, it's you know, your hands are everywhere and and in lots of things. And, and, and so, you know, that's just part of, you know, you, you know, Jewelry is 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 some, something that people are going to have for a lifetime. Uh, at least you hope it uh, hope they do, right? It's not it's not like a t-shirt that wears out or or socks that get holes in them. Jewelry, you know, if cared for can can last, you know, generations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, congratulations in all that you and your family have achieved over the generations and definitely appreciate the time that you took to to speak with us today everybody again this is david sherwood he is the ceo of daniel's jewelers um coming soon to the east coast for those that live over here with um like i do um, but thank you so much for taking the time with us today and look forward to seeing your doors opening in miami in just a quarter from now thank you very much melissa i appreciate it thank you for thank your you. time thank you